Good morning, North Point. Welcome to church today. We are glad you're here. Glad uh, you're with us this morning. Uh, this is a great time for you to take out your North Point app and uh, find everything that we're going to do this morning is on there. But find that section that says virtual connect card. Fill that out. Uh, we just love knowing that you're worshiping with us this morning. I want you to fill that out. I want you to fill that out. I'm going to fill it out. I'm not going to fill that out. She's probably going to fill that out for But anyways, one of you fill it out, and uh, that'd be great. Uh, also, it's Memorial Day coming up this weekend, so happy Memorial Day weekend. I uh, hope you have a great time staying home. Uh, anyway, whatever you do, I hope you get a chance to get out and enjoy it. And we're going to worship together this morning. So, Jamie, take it away. I give you you 
thank you so much for the faithful giving that you, our North Point family, has continued to do during quarantine. We are just humbly um, amazed at what God is doing, uh, not only through your giving, but just through the stories that we continue to hear uh, from people that contact us and just let us know how God is working. Quarantine was never any part of anyone's plan or desire but it is cool to look back on the past 12 weeks and see how God has been faithful and how God has grown us and how he has strengthened us. And I think also how he has given us hope for what he's going to do um, in, in the years to come. And he's going to do that through us and he's going to do that through you. And that's something to be excited about. So like I said, thank you for your continued giving. Um, this would be a great time right now. If you haven't given already, you can do that. You can do it through the website. You can do it through the app, or you can text NCC Give at 77977. It's the easiest way to give. You can set it up as a one-time gift or a recurring. You can also do that through the website, through um, our push pay that we have there. So we want to make it as easy for you as possible. Again, thank you so much for your faithful giving. We are, we're thankful and we're just so grateful that you're part of our um, North Point family. So this weekend we have Memorial Day. And while this Memorial Day weekend is probably like none other that we've ever experienced, we still want to take time to honor and celebrate the veterans that we always celebrate on Memorial Day. So take a look at this video. They stood side by side shoulder to shoulder, and answered the call. They moved forward, advancing the ideas that everyone was free, everyone was created equal, everyone has the right to pursue their own dreams, and that our nation was founded on those ideals. But not all of them came back. Some remained never to go home, never to see their families. And some, we lost this side of the field of battle. They were sons and daughters, brothers and sisters, fathers and mothers, greatly loved. They charged forward for honor and peace and freedom. 
We acknowledge the empty space where we want them to be. Together we pay sincere tribute to those who fought for us. Those we remember. Those we love. Have you ever gone out in a public place, in a restaurant or someplace like that, and seen a family interacting with each other and thought, man, I wish that was my family. I wish my kids obeyed like those kids. I wish those parents were my parents and, and they reacted that way. Uh, that's what we're talking about today. We're in this series called Powered from the book of Ephesians, and we've been talking about power in so many different relationships, in so many different aspects of our life, power that comes from God. It all, the, the last few messages have stemmed from Ephesians 5, verse 21, that says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. There's power when you submit, which is really funny because that's the opposite of the way that we think. But there's power in submitting, not in making others submit to you. When we choose to submit to Jesus, when we choose to give our lives fully to him, uh, nothing can shake who we are. Our circumstances can't, persecution can't, injustice can't, being cooped up in our homes for 10 weeks can't change who we are when we allow Jesus to have complete control of our lives. All those things that we just talked about, they're, they're all temporary. But our relationship with Jesus, someone that we can trust uh, um, implicitly, that changes eternity for us. And that, that will take us into eternity. Uh, Paul wrote to the church in Rome and, and, and uh, just said words that are so powerful for us. What can separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famineness or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons nor things present nor the future nor any other powers, neither height nor depth nor anything in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. When you submit to Jesus, your life changes, and God never leaves you. In the context of our series, when a wife submits to her, uh, to the authority of her husband because of her relationship with Jesus, that's powerful. When a husband, um, serves, serves his wife, when he loves uh, sacrificially her, because of the model of Jesus in the church. That's powerful, even if the world thinks that it's foolish. And a marriage that includes both a husband and a wife, living that out is a magnet to the world to draw people to Jesus, to draw people to the church. Everyone, everyone who's listening today uh, really fits in one of four categories. It doesn't matter really where you're from. You're either a son or a daughter, a father or a mother, or some combination of uh, one, of two of those things. Regardless of what your siblings made you feel when you were a child, um, 
You didn't just appear out of nowhere. You're a son or a daughter. You have a mom and a dad. You may not have known them. You may not have had a great relationship with them. Or you may have had a fantastic relationship with them. But if you're here, you've got a mom and a dad. You're their child. Many of you are parents or will be parents one day. You may be an adoptive parent. You may be a biological parent. You may be a step-parent. You may be a non-custodial parent separated from your kids. You may be a single parent that's living out both mother and father roles at the same time. As a son or a daughter, as a father or mother, today's scripture has something to teach you. We're picking up right where we left off last week, exploring the idea of submission in two more relationships that begin at the beginning of Ephesians 6. So if you've got your uh, app open, if you've got your Bible open, turn there to Ephesians 6 and let's read together these words that help us understand what it takes to be a powerful family. Children, obey your parents for this is, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on earth. Fathers, don't exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. The power of a family, a powerful family, a family that's a, that's a magnet to Jesus includes three things. Children who, children who obey their parents. Parents who don't frustrate and exasperate their children and parents who bring up their children in the uh, in the training, in the instruction of the Lord. That's what we're going to talk about, those three points today. Um, that Let's start with that first idea. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Colossians chapter 3 has a similar passage that says, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Let me, let me just talk. Hopefully, hopefully, if you're hanging out with your mom and dad this morning and watching the message, uh, if you're 4, 5, 8, 10, 15, 18, hear me in this. If you're serious about following Jesus, about doing what God wants, about living, um, living for Jesus in your world, God says through the Apostle Paul, you need to obey your parents. It's the right thing to do. Obeying your parents pleases God. It's something that puts a smile on his face. Uh, Paul uses two different words in this passage from Ephesians 6. He, uh, he uses the words obey and honor. He says, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother for that's the first commandment with a promise. Obey, when you obey, that speaks to your action, the things that you do. Uh, how you live that out when mom and dad give instruction, whether you do it or not. But honor, honor is something different. Honor speaks to the attitude that you have in your heart. You realize, don't you, that you can obey and have a lousy attitude. Maybe your mom and dad say, uh, you need to go clean your room. And you do that. You comply. You go and clean your room. But in the midst of cleaning your room, you're slamming the door. You're knocking things around. You're pouting and throwing a fit. You may be obeying, but you're not honoring. And God calls us to obey our parents 
and to honor them as well. Your willingness to do that is a reflection on how you respond to God. Um, As a child, do do you need to submit to your parents? Do you need to uh, obey them no matter what they say? Uh, You know what? There's one caveat in that passage because Paul says, uh, children, um, obey your parents in the Lord. If your parents ask you to do something that God wouldn't want you to do, you need to be able to have a conversation with them with honor and respect and say, Mom, Dad, I can't do that. If your mom or dad ask you to go steal something, you need to say, Mom and Dad, I'm a follower of Jesus. I can't do that. Don't, don't ask me to do that. Um, if your parents ask you to lie to somebody on the phone, to a neighbor, to another member of your family, you need to be able to have a respectful conversation. You need with, 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 um, the right amount of, of honor to say to your mom and dad, mom, dad, I can't do that. God wants me to speak truth and I can't, I can't lie like that. Um, what happens when you obey and when you honor your parents? Paul refers to uh, back to the to the Ten Commandments and says that there's a promise there in in uh, Deuteronomy chapter five that that says if you honor your father and mother it will go well with you and you may enjoy long life on the earth uh, is that an absolute guarantee that if you obey your mom and dad and everything you're going to live to be a hundred not at all. But it's a general statement that says when you obey your parents, when you honor your father and mother, you're going to live the kind of life, you're going to benefit from their wisdom that will take you late into life. It will, it will lead you into old age primarily. All, all of us know um, great kids uh, who died way too early, um, that honored, that obeyed their parents, but still died young. This is not a, a steadfast promise that we can hold on to uh, like, like it's a vice, but it's a statement. It's a, it, it's a, it's a, like a proverb, a truism that's, that says, if you do this, this is what's going to happen. Um, adults, I've, I've been talking to kids for the last few minutes, but there's a question there that I think that's, that's really powerful for us. How long do we need to honor and obey our parents? When does that stop? Do I, uh, do I need to do that until the day that I die? Well, if you're still at home, living in the basement, if you're, if you're living off your mom and dad's dime, if you're eating their food, if you're benefiting from their utilities, um, you need to honor and obey in that context. You're not out on your own yet. If they're paying for your phone, if they're paying for your health, health insurance, if they're providing with you with a car, you need to obey and honor them. Um, what if you're married? What if you're out on your own? Do you still have to honor and obey? Um, it helps to understand the culture in which this was, in which this letter was, was written. Um, the answer in that culture was you had to obey your parents until the day that your parents died. And you honored your parents until the day that you died. Some of you are freaking out right now. What? I'm 45 years old. You're telling me I still need to obey my parents? I, I think that there's a cultural piece in there for us to recognize that once we get out on our own, once we establish our own family, the obedience piece 
um, it doesn't have the same, uh, it doesn't have the same power, the same context that it does when we're growing up, um, under our parents' oversight and under their responsibility. But I think it's helpful to look at scripture and, and to think through what did honoring look like in the Bible? Jesus, when he was on the cross, ready to die, looked out and was honoring his mother. He was concerned about his mother. He said, John, take care, take care of my mom as he's dying. Um, Joseph is the second most powerful man in the world when he's uh, second to, to Pharaoh in Egypt and they've experienced the famine and people are coming from all over the world to, to find food. Joseph's family returns from Canaan or, or comes from Canaan to Egypt and Joseph honors his father. Even after his father dies, Joseph, uh, Joseph honors his father's request for him to be buried back in Canaan, in the promised land. To the point of his death, Joseph was honoring his father. Here's, uh, here's what I know as the father of six children, six adult children. I would love to spare my children the consequences of the bad decisions that I've made in my life. Um, I think that that's true of virtually every parent I know. It doesn't matter how old you are as a parent. You would like to spare your children, your child, the consequences of the bad decisions that you've made. Bad business decisions, bad home buying decisions, bad financial decisions, bad uh, relationship decisions, bad medical decisions, bad parenting decisions. And you would love to pass that on to your children who are, who are growing older. If you're an adult and your parents are still alive, I would encourage you to seek out the wisdom and counsel, the advice of your parents. Understand that their, that their counsel may not be godly counsel, but still hear it because they want to spare you the consequences of their bad decisions. If we keep reading, we transition from instruction to children to instruction to parents. Ephesians 6 verse 4 says, Fathers, don't exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. In Colossians, there's a similar passage again that says, Fathers, don't embitter your children or they'll become discouraged. In the original language in Greek, that word that's used for fathers can also be used for parents. So moms don't think that you're kind of off the hook on this. It really is instruction to both mothers and fathers. Don't do things as you raise your children that just cause them to churn, to churn, that cause them to get so frustrated that they don't know what to do. Um, those two passages use the word exasperate or the word provoke. Um, the, the idea is to not drive your children away because of the way that you treat them. When, when I was a kid, um, the words exasperate and provoke were a regular part of my parents' vocabulary. Um, when everything was falling apart for my dad with, with a project that he was working on, something he was trying to fix, maybe even something at work, dad would just kind of, <sighs> I am so exasperated. That was the first exposure I had to that word. It was this sense of frustration and helplessness and, and angst that came because of the circumstances around them, things that they couldn't control. I remember when we, when we would go on road trips as a family, 
Um, and I'd be in the back seat and I'd be doing everything I could to irritate my sister. You know, I, I might repeat every word that she said, uh, for an hour. I might, uh, I might get right up in her face, put my hand right next to her face, but not touch her and, um, and just try and make her mad. And I can remember my mom saying, Rick, do not provoke your sister because she's going to whack you. Um, the concept that's there in these passages of scripture, is that as parents, we can cause this reaction in our kids by the way that we act that can cause them to die inside, that can cause them to push us away, that can cause them to not listen to what we have to say. Um, Don't let the things that you do create a wedge in your relationship with your child or with your children because of the way that you treat them. Uh, let me let me just share uh, kind of really quickly 12 ideas, uh, 12 ways that you can exasperate your child, that you can exasperate your children. 12, so I don't have a lot of time to talk about any of them, but let me just kind of read through them. But these are things that I've seen, uh, some, some of the things that I've done, uh, ashamedly, um, but things that I've seen in, in people's lives where children have just been so frustrated, have have um, just felt um, so crushed in their spirit by the things that their parents did. Twelve ways that you can exasperate your kids. First, first thing, be wildly inconsistent with boundaries and discipline. Discipline your, your child. Have boundaries that you set that are different on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday than they are on Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday. Um, discipline your child disproportionately to, uh, to whatever it is that they've done. If, uh, if they spill the, their glass at the table, take away their, their phone for three weeks. Um, disproportionately, disproportionately and inconsistently um, living out boundaries and discipline will crush your child's spirit. Discipline. Just just so you know, on the area of discipline, let me just take a rabbit trail for a second. Discipline needs to be immediate. Discipline needs to be consistent. Discipline needs to be appropriate. And discipline needs to be explained. I think in our culture, uh, because there's so much focus on the adults, on the parents, it's easy for our discipline to be completely reactive and to not be intentional, to not be immediate, to not be consistent, to not be appropriate, um, and to not be explained. Those are such important things in shaping the heart of your child. The second thing that you can do to exasperate your kids, compare your child to their siblings or to the neighbors, that's even better. And make sure that you favor one child over another. Oh, this one's my favorite. This, the, oh, my son is so, so good. Can't you be more like him? That will exasperate your child. It will tear apart their heart. Third thing, demand that your child achieves in the top 1% academically, athletically, artistically. Hear, hear me, parents. You may not think that you are doing that, but that may be what your child is hearing. When you set expectations that are unrealistic, when, when you assume that they're going to be the next professional baseball star or uh, pro football player, or that they're going to be the valedictorian of their class, and they're not equipped to do that, those expectations, that drive from parents destroys the heart 
of their child. Fourth thing, be unwilling to hear your child's side when they get in trouble because you probably know all the information that's necessary to, to figure out what's going on anyway, right? Um, why listen to your kids? So many times as a parent, I, I've got to say for me that uh, I heard one part of the story and made a decision about what discipline was going to be, what how we were going to respond. And my children had more information that was really helpful and helped clarify the picture. Um, if you want to exasperate your kids, don't, don't listen to them. Don't give them a chance to explain what's happened. Just assume that you know everything and go from there. Fifth thing, never allow your child to fail at anything or teach them to recover from failure. Parents, stop swooping in and sparing your child of the consequences of their mistakes or failures. Parents, stop um, putting your, your children only in situations where they can succeed. One of the best things that they can experience is to learn how to fail and learn how to fail well and learn how to deal with that failure and come back from that. A, a child who has never failed will grow up with this level of, of, of uh, exasperation that's part of their life when they experience failure for the first time. Number six, keep your children in their place with bitter, discouraging words about their abilities, about their intelligence, about their interest, about their behavior, about their character. Talk, talk nasty to them. That will exasperate your kids. Recognize, parents, you have the power to devastate your child with your words. Number seven, pursue only your own dreams, your own desires, your own goals. Sacrificing for your child will only make them think that they matter to you. Um, so, so don't do that. Don't do that. If you want to exasperate your kids, just live a very selfish life and make your children think that they're a burden to you. Number eight, you want to exasperate your kids? Don't let your child grow up. Um, they will, uh, they will thrive. Your children will thrive if you act like they're one third of their actual age. If you treat them that way, that will exasperate your child. All right. Don't do that. Don't do that. Recognize that, that there are appropriate areas of responsibility and development that happen and recognize them. Um, dads, don't treat your 14 year old daughter as if she's 10. Um, it will exasperate, it will devastate, it will provoke her to anger. Um, number nine, don't pay attention to your child. If you're providing a place to sleep and food to eat, what more do they need? You want to exasperate your kid? Um, just ignore them. Let them fend for themselves. Number 10, um, if you want to exasperate your child, keep as much distance as you can from your children. Looking them in the eye, calling them by name, that only creates needy, dependent children, right? No, man. If, if that distance exists in your home, that will exasperate. It'll, it'll destroy the heart of your, of your uh, son or your daughter. Number 11, um, if you want to exasperate your child, be as physically cruel to them as you can. Um, it will destroy their soul. Number 12, um, if you want to exasperate your kids, Promise things that you'll never follow through on. Um, it, it will. It, if you promise things that you'll never follow through on, your child will learn that you don't mean what you say, that uh, they can't trust you, 
Um, they'll learn how to live with disappointment. And they'll grow up exasperated. If, if I were to sum up all 12 of those things into one concept, it would be this. If for whatever reason a child grows up believing they are an inconvenience, a bother, or a project to somehow replace their parents' unfulfilled dreams, that child will grow up exasperated, provoked to anger, and Satan will destroy their soul. Parents, don't let that happen. Don't exasperate your kids. Ephesians 6 says, instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Our calling as parents is not to just not exasperate our kids. It's to follow the model that we find in Scripture. Um, Bring them up in the training and instruction, just like honor and obey are two different concepts. Training and instruction are two different concepts as well. Um, instruction is providing information. It's providing content. It's um, uh, Instruction is giving information. But training is walking alongside them. It's modeling. It's interacting. It's adjusting to what happens and helping them deal with that in the moment. Instruction, frankly, is easy. It's easy to give information. Don't do this. Don't do this. Do this. Training is much more difficult. It's Training is marked by the mastery of the material in both the parent and in the child. I, I think the words from Deuteronomy 6 that, that God gave through Moses to the nation of Israel are so appropriate for us as we think about helping our children, giving them training and instruction in the Lord. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your, of your houses and on your gates. The concept that's there, parents, is that you walk with your children, that you teach them on a moment-by-moment basis. What an opportunity you have to do that, to shape the hearts and minds of a new generation, to introduce them to the God who loves them more than you do, and the God that hopefully they will serve for eternity. Parents, what a tremendous responsibility that is. It's not just an opportunity. It's a responsibility. Um, it's too big for just one person. I, I think um, it's so important to recognize that, that um, so many of you are trying to raise kids as a single parent, and it is so difficult. The church can come alongside you. We want to, but we can only be supplementary. We can only be secondary. Um, you're carrying a heavy burden, and you've got to have a team around you. Um, I, 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 last week I said it's so important to have a mentor couple, and I would encourage you to do that, to find someone who can walk with you, can show you what it looks like, maybe some people who can come around and fill in some of the gaps for you interact with your children and pour into them in a powerful way. Um, let, me, let me just finish by saying this. Um, 
The hard work of parenting is really done in the first five years of life. Parents, if you if you pour yourself into the first five years of your child's life um, with consistent discipline, consistent love, consistent instruction, the rest of their lives, they'll have that foundation to lay on, that relational found foundation as well. And God will use that to draw them to him. Um, you know, if if you if you give your child to Dr. Phil, um, you can God can restore that, but it'll take lots of work. It will take lots of instruction, lots of investment to create the change that needs to happen in their heart to draw them to God. One of the most powerful sentences I heard when my kids were little were the teen years are meant to be enjoyed, not endured. I, I think that's such a powerful statement because it describes the kind of relationship that should be growing with you and your children to enjoy the teen years, to not have them be a time that's, that, that's a time of, of conflict and fighting, but a time of progressive growth, pro- progressive responsibility, progressive release as they become their own person. But to do that, you've got to have the right foundation You've got to follow that instruction. And parents, don't exasperate your kids, but train them, bring them along, training and instruction of the Lord. It's my prayer that we would grow a generation of kids who know and love God, that their lives would be different because our lives are different, because our lives are characterized by submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, I I just... Pray a blessing right now on all the parents that you would empower them supernaturally, that you'd give them wisdom, that you'd give them strength um, to live out a mission that is that is so taxing. Lord, I, I pray for, for the children that you would help them to be drawn to loving obedience and loving honoring their parents. Help their parents to be great examples. And God, may our families be a model of power in our world that draws people to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Your presence